I don't know. Oh, it is on. I invite you to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there and get ready, uh, just on behalf of Jennifer and I. Thank you. Thank you for loving us well. Thank you for 15 and a half years of development and growth, and challenge, journey. Once I get into the sermon, I'll be fine. But thank you from the depths of our heart. Ephesians 4. I grabbed Kleenex in advance. Tried to be smart about it. Ephesians chapter 4. We are beginning this morning at verse 25, kind of picking up where we left off last week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Continue down to chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God for us today. Amen? You may be seated. We're all happy to see that picture, aren't we? We're all happy to realize how much we're spending on that right now, aren't we? Okay, maybe not. I remember back... You know, freshman, sophomore year, it was right around 1990 that I began to drive. And one of the important things that you have to learn when you're driving is to put fuel in the car so that you can keep driving. I know through the course of of my marriage, there have been a couple of opportunities. I, I, I know no other guys are like this, and I pick on the guys at the moment. I know no other guys are like this, but... 
But there's times that you really want to see how far your car can go. Right? I mean, it's important so that you know when you're seriously in need of gas. And I remember one trip in, in Indiana when, when we were traveling and, uh, I, I don't know, we were, I don't even remember where we were going, but the light came on. And we came to this realization that, uh, we're several miles from the next gas station. And I remember praying it hard and being like, God, if it takes fumes to get us there, because they tell you it's like anywhere from half a gallon to a gallon of gas left in your tank. And anyways, the importance and, and of course my wife lovingly was like, let's not do that again. Okay. I prefer not to do that again, but it's important to not only fill it up, but put the right stuff in, right? Uh, Again, depending on your vehicle, some of us are, are cheap. Some of us are like, I need premium in my vehicle for it to run pristinely. If you have a diesel, you don't want to put gasoline in your car or your truck. I remember one time, so just a few years ago, we picked up our, our diesel rig that we have, our F-350. No comments from the peanut gallery. Uh or F-350, and I, I remember I was down at the casino, and some of the pumps down at the casino have the dual, right, the diesel and the regular. And I remember pulling up, and I was just going about it, sliding the card in, waiting, punching the numbers, doing all that kind of stuff. And then I grabbed the nozzle, and I stuck it in the truck, and something goes, there's something not right here. So I paused. I go, wrong nozzle. And I pull it out, and I grab the green one. And I stick it in that that close to a miserable return trip home. But we understand we understand from our physical bodies. I, I I knew an ultra marathoner one time several years back. Ultra marathon. Those are the those are the crazy insane people that run for 24 hours in the mountains of Colorado. Okay, you know you know what I'm talking about. And and in the conversation with him, he was describing how important it was. So. So a lot of us who played sports always knew the day before or two days before it was important to like build up pasta, the carbs so that you can perform, all that kind of stuff. The ultra marathoners talk about like weeks and months before what they're eating in preparation for the activity that they're going to do. So we understand the importance of, of fuel and, and, and what's in the tank to keep us moving forward. And I want to propose this morning that the the main point, and, and we're going to use chapter 4 as kind of the springboard, and we're going to jump into 5 as well. But I believe that this morning the main point that we need to grasp from the passage is God wants us whole and full with the Holy Spirit. God wants us whole and full with the Holy Spirit. A couple of clarifying comments. I already mentioned it. I was told if I offend people, it's easier to let go. Uh, my son reminded me, my son Caleb, just for anybody who wants reference, my son Caleb reminded me that I always joked about preaching a two-hour sermon. Because it's your last Sunday, why not? So, I, I put no time parameters on my sermon this morning. We're going to go through it. I looked back during this week, and when we went through Ephesians, it took us 21 weeks to get to the point where we're at this morning. So please understand, the four weeks that we've been in this has covered relatively surface level of what's present in the book of Ephesians. 21 weeks versus four. But in these final four weeks, I felt that I should leave you with four key areas as individuals and as a church. And just to review very quick, the first one, prioritize unity in the church. Prioritize unity in the church. 
We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 or so. One Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one Holy Spirit. Prioritize unity through and in and by the triune God that we worship. Number two, the essential development and nature of interdependence. The uber umbilical, if you would. Again, I remind us that we live not only in a country, but we live in a region and we live in a state that highlights and encourages independence, which is counter to what Scripture calls, which is interdependence. So, brothers and sisters, to be the church the way Jesus Christ designed it to be, we need to learn to become dependent upon one another. Whether you have a need or not, find one. Develop one. Trust me, we all have them. Number three. We talked last week about the necessity for us to walk out the life we claim to believe in Jesus Christ. It's not sufficient to just go around saying, I'm a Christian. We need to, if you recall, we need to get naked before God, check out the closet, and then redress ourselves in the clothing of Christ. Particularly the righteousness and holiness of Christ that God gives to us. And this week, I want to talk to us about the necessity for us to be whole and full of Holy Spirit. As we return to our passage this morning, we find Paul giving us a a list of ways in which our life is altered by being robed in Christ. If we just look at them briefly, and we even spoke about them last week some, but, but starting in verse 25, now, Recall from last week, one of the things that we talked about is that we do bear a responsibility to wrap ourselves in the robes of Christ. We walk in partnership with God. We don't say, hey, God, I believe in you. Sit back and do nothing. There's a partnership. Paul talks. These are active verbs that Paul uses. We have a responsibility in it. If you recall, he talks about... um, putting off your old self and putting on the new self, our responsibility in that. But then it gets fleshed out when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, therefore, having put away, taken off falsehood, let each one put on speaking the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Don't be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and and. Again, years ago when we preached on this, we talked about righteous anger versus unrighteous anger and what he's talking about here. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Put off stealing. Put off cheating the employer. Put off all of these things. Rather, he goes on and says, but let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. And then here's the key. Here's the kingdom robe that that Paul puts into here so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, in the church, it's not enough to just work honestly. It's to work honestly with the goal and the purpose and the intent of being able and available to help people in need. So Paul's not just saying, put off the stealing. That's a great thing. And he's not just saying, get a real job. He's saying, get get a real job and then get your budget in order So that you're prepared to help people who are in need. And he goes on to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may 
that I may give grace to those who hear. I think we spent two weeks on that verse alone. Let no corrupting talk. Put off, take off, disrobe the corrupting talk. And put on talk. And look at what he says. As it's good for building up. As it fits the occasion. And that it's giving of grace. It's not just stop the talk that's corrupting. But think about what you're saying when you're saying it. How many of us have, don't show your hands. How many of us, though, have a tendency to just let our mouth run? We don't actually think about what we say. I'm guilty of it. He goes, it's not enough to just not have corrupting talk, but to have talk that's in the right place at the right time for the right purposes. And then he goes into verse 30. And the Greek word. So he starts out, as we talk about being whole and full of the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, we see a connecting word. It's the Greek word chi. He's connecting in particular verse 29 with verse 30. But as we walk through this whole thing, what we find is that really all of the activities that are taking place that we haven't put off are bringing grief to the Holy Spirit. To grieve, to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness. By the way, that is one of our proof texts that the Holy Spirit is a person. Because he can grieve. Again, it connects most directly to 29. We grieve him when we don't talk properly, in particular with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the corrupting talk that kind of lingers in the flesh causes grief to Holy Spirit. But really, again, if we look at the bigger picture, if we haven't put away falsehood, we are grieving Holy Spirit. If we're unrighteously angry, we are grieving Holy Spirit. If we are stealing, we are grieving Holy Spirit. In verse 31 that follows this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Let it be taken off along with all malice. All of these things are grieving the Spirit. And why, what's my proof text of that? Look at 5.1. Therefore. Well, Terry, he's just adding, don't grieve the Spirit. No, we have to understand what causes grief in the Spirit. James Montgomery Boyce says this, it must be, it must grieve Holy Spirit, particularly when the speech of Christians, rather than building up the church as it should, is used to tear down others who are part of that body. That's just dealing with one of the verses, right? But I think that if we're honest with the text, when Paul comes to chapter five, therefore he's linking all of this together. And so we can say, Grieving the Holy Spirit, and he goes on, instead be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. And then he goes on with this list again. But sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, they must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, or crude joking. They're out of place. So it, it's not that there's one particular... It's, Paul's not talking about blasphemy of Holy Spirit. He's talking about grieving Holy Spirit. There isn't one thing that grieves Holy Spirit. It's when we don't take off the old flesh that Holy Spirit is grieved. So he invites us into the journey. And so the flow of the passage as we look at it is about continuing to take off and partnering with God to take off the old self and put on the new self. And there has to be intentional action on our part to avoid grieving Holy Spirit. Let's be honest, those of us who are married, 
We know how to give life to our spouse, and we know how to grieve our spouse. The fact of life. We call it playful bantering. We call it a lot of different things, but in the end, we're grieving our spouse when we say things, do or don't do things, have an attitude in a particular way. The same is true with Holy Spirit. We know how to celebrate with Holy Spirit, and we know how to grieve Holy Spirit. So I ask us this morning, where might I be grieving Holy Spirit? Where might I be grieving Holy Spirit? Where do I know better, but continue to practice anyway? Is it my attitude at work? Is it my work ethic? Is it how I treat my spouse or how I treat my kids? Is it my apathy? What is it in my life that I'm doing right now that I go, wow, I... I kind of know it, but if I ignore it, then it doesn't bother me. And it should bother us. We should feel the effects of grieving Holy Spirit in this process. But there's hope. There's hope because Paul continues in this whole journey and and wrapping it up in part by bringing us to chapter 5, verse 18. I don't want to belittle the... The grieving. I don't want to make that a minimal point. That is a major point. But how do we not grieve Holy Spirit? We jump to verse 18 of chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit, we need to be filled with and by Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with and by Holy Spirit. Now, We need to understand several things in these couple of words, one word in particular, but be filled. I'll bet you if I walked around this room and started asking you, what does it mean to be filled? You would have multiple different explanations, ideas, concepts. Some would be scriptural. Some would be not scriptural. Some would be ideologies. Some would be a a number of things. But we want to break this down, and we're going to spend the next good chunk of time doing that. First of all, we need to understand it's a plural command. I'm going to explain that. It's a plural command. The Greek word, plerao, I expect you to remember that, means to fill, to fulfill, and to complete. To fill, to fulfill, and to complete. And so in this plural command, the one thing that we need to understand first is that it's a call to be completely full. To be filled to the full. To to add one more drop would cause it to overflow. Let me have the kids come up. Go right around the, the center section. I need a little bit of space. Little bit of space. Okay. They have this pitcher. You guys know what these are, right? Ping pong balls, yeah. So these ping pong balls are going to represent, like, the stuff of our life, the sin, the old nature, the fleshly way of things. Do you know what I'm talking about? The wrongdoings that we do? 
The things that, like when we don't listen to our parents. Okay? So our life, because because even in Christ, we're still trying to get rid of all the bad stuff. And by the way, it's not always bad stuff. We're going to say the white ones. You see a few of them scattered in here. The white ones, let's go ahead and have you back up just a little bit, okay? The white ones actually might be good things, but wrong reasons. But but our life is filled with this stuff, right? So here's what happens, though, when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what we're talking about right now in Ephesians. A lot of times, spirit is referenced by oil or by water or something like that that would flow, right? And so, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what begins to happen, it does what? Oh, it will, huh? We'll see. Or not. This worked on the video I watched. Too many? Oh, no, there we go. Yeah, I've got the wrong dish because it's going to start pouring out here. Okay, never mind. Scrap the whole thing. Just forget about it. No. If it had worked the way it would, but see, life is full of imperfections, right? All, always mistakes. But you see how these guys floated here? You see how these floated? Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. I just had to break it up a little bit, huh? I wonder if I can add some more now. It splashed on you. I'll bet you I can add some more. So what happens as Holy Spirit fills up further and further? What what begins to happen? Yeah, they they got lodged. They what? It expands and makes room, right? Oh, there we go. And what gets pushed out of us? The sin, the bad stuff, as we allow Holy Spirit to keep filling us, the sin, the bad stuff gets pushed out of us. So to be full of the Holy Spirit means to allow the water to keep coming up to the top to to fill us and pushing out all of the bad stuff that takes place in our lives. Okay, That's one way that we understand being filled with the Spirit. It means to be filled to complete fullness. Now, here's the deal. I want you to each take a ping pong ball. Okay, go ahead. You can take one. You guys can each take a ping pong ball because I want you to hold on to this. And I want you to think through this. I want you to think. Oh. I want you to think about what are the ping pong balls in my life that God needs to remove? What's the sin? What's the stuff in my life? You need one? You got one? What's the stuff in my life that God needs to be removing from me? Okay? So let's keep the ping pong balls quiet during it. But I want you to go ahead and take them back. Okay? Yeah, parents may have the responsibility of, uh, you have a question, Hunter. (laughs) You got to remember, I've been preaching for 15 and a half years. I don't, I don't know. I, I might, I might, we'll see what else comes out, but. To be full of the Spirit, first and foremost, in this plural command, means to be completely full. Now, I want us to imagine for a second. Let's say that, let, let's say that all of the people of balls were out. All of the sin, all the bad stuff was out. And if we added one more drop, it would just start to flow over. What would it look like for our lives to actually have Holy Spirit flow over from us? 
Not just that we do good things. Not that we just spend time with God. But Holy Spirit is actually flowing over. Imagine if it were overflowing in our lives. If, if nothing else was taking space in our minds, in our hearts, in our soul, in our being, if there were no ping pong balls whatsoever, it was only Holy Spirit that was flowing through us. To be completely full. Secondly, though, the other part of the meeting is to be completely whole. When Paul uses this word, phlareo, in the, in the Greek here, and he says, be filled with the Spirit, to be filled also means to make complete, to make whole. The second definition is to render complete, to render full, to render perfect, complete in every way. It's as if you would take the picture of a broken vessel fully restored. So imagine for a moment, if we're so full of the spirit that our old nature, our brokenness, our broken lives were restored to holiness and righteousness. By the way, this is life when God created. And then the result of the fall is this, right? Brokenness. Every single one of us, I don't care if you were raised in the church, every single one of us is broken. We have pieces all over the place. They're, they're shattered. Some are easy to start piecing together. Some are more difficult. But here's the thing. We spend all of our life doing this. We spend all of our life. My wife and daughter worked on this project for me. We used glue. You can see some glue. We used band-aids. A lot of us like to put band-aids on things. We used some painter's tape. Idaho way, we use some duct tape, right? We use some other uh, medical tape. But what do we know about putting it back together like this? It leaks. It doesn't hold. It falls back apart. And what Paul says is stop trying to fix yourself. Allow Holy Spirit to make you completely whole. I, I think when I preached about this last time, I used that, that picture. We've heard the story. I won't go through all of it. But, but ancient, ancient Eastern cultures would use gold, right, to fill in those cracks. And the value of the vessel was more than what the vessel was before. Because it had been restored completely and then some. This is the idea of Holy Spirit making us completely whole. So imagine if for a moment I was so full of Holy Spirit that all of that brokenness, all of that residue of the flesh, all of those struggles, all of those things that, that have happened in my past and happened in my life and the struggles that I currently have, if I was so full of Holy Spirit that I was completed and made whole again. we tend to keep trying to fix ourselves. And we're kind of like, God, I, I got this one. I, I got this. I don't, I, let me take care of this. And he's kind of like, go for it. Go for it. Because the great thing about God is he's like, I'll, I'll still be here. So when it doesn't work, I'll be here. 
reach out to me. So to, to be full, to be filled with Holy Spirit is not just to be completely full, but to be completely whole. I'm going to step on a soapbox here for a moment. I said offense will help you to be ready to get rid of me. So, Do we believe that Jesus Christ on the cross brought about restoration? A couple of us believe it. Some of us are uncertain. Do we believe that on the cross the only restoration that took place was for sin? No. Do we understand that the work of Christ on the cross, as Paul says, brings about a new creation? He's making pictorial reference back to the first creation, which was perfect. Right? I'm getting to a point here. Stay with me. To a painful point here. Stay with me. The garden was perfect. God said it was very good. And then the fall happened. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. What I love about going here and I talk about offending people and stuff like that is really it's not me offending you. Because if you take on the offense, then you grabbed it. If you don't like what I have to say, that's one thing. But to take on offense is your issue, not mine. Genesis chapter 3. Okay. We're going to look at, we're going to start at verse 14. So we're, we don't need the whole story of like what took place beforehand and all that kind of stuff, right? The fall is taken. They've eaten of the apple, whatever. Verse 14. The Lord God, hey, stick with me. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. So what's cursed here? The serpent. I want. I, I, please stick with me the whole thing. Before you throw anything, stick with me through the whole conversation. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat I, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Okay? The serpent is cursed. I, I, well, let me keep reading through. To the woman. Who just made that sound? <laughs> to the woman. He said. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. That's a fun conversation to have. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, to man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and you and to dust you shall return. First of all, pause, because I, I, we need to get some theological clarity on something. What was cursed in the fall? The serpent and the ground. Brothers and sisters, stop saying that we were cursed. Stop saying that we were cursed. We were not cursed. The serpent was cursed and the land was cursed. 
Do you understand the theological impact it has if we are not cursed? Do you? So many of us walk around as if we're cursed because of sin. God says two things that were cursed, the serpent and the ground. Men, why do we have to work our tails off? Because of sin. Why do 95% of us, it's a made-up statistic, hate snakes? Because of sin. Okay? And the 5% like Ethan and stuff are just weird. I love Ethan. I'm glad that he loves snakes and whatnot. Two things cursed. Two things cursed. Now, here's the other part that is hard for some of us, and I'm going to say particularly men in this room. Look back at verse 14. To the woman he said, I shall surely multiply your pain in childbirth, and pain you shall bring forth children. Guys, I'm not talking to you there. That's Anyway, go to the second half. Women, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Is this before or after the fall? And if Christ restores all things, then what is restored? The proper relationship between a husband and a wife. Husbands, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you no longer rule over your wife. Women, if you're followers of Jesus Christ, you no longer vie after the power and the authority and whatever else that's been granted to Let me explain this. Some of the shattering to our vessels has taken place because of the church. It's taken place because of the church. One of the best things my mom could ever do to me was when I was a young adult. Hold me aside in a conversation. If mom's watching, hi, love you. She pulled me aside. She goes, Terry, you know what? She said, you are a male chauvinist. You are a male chauvinist. Men, the church has taught us how to be male chauvinists. Believing in the lie that we are to rule over women. Now, please hear me out. There is a spectrum of belief and understanding on the role of women in the church. I'm not addressing that this morning. I'm not, we we can argue that another time. I'm talking in particular about marital relationships where the original design was for Adam and Eve to co-create and co-labor together. Men, and I am guilty of it. Men, if I, as a follower of Christ, look at my wife and say, listen to me because I am the husband of this house, I am fully living out the curse, sorry, not cursed, right, 
I am fully living out the effects of sin. Because if I believe that things have been restored under the blood of Jesus Christ, then we co-labor together. We co-labor together. I know that there are men in this room that I have just turned off. You've just, you've clicked and said you're out of line. No, look at scripture. By the way, oh, that's an Old Testament thing. Turn turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Turn back to Ephesians. You're like, wow, that's a pretty big soapbox. It is a big soapbox because it's all about being made completely whole. And if we're not going to deal with our stuff, we can't help other people become completely whole. And if as a church we won't deal with the stuff that we've done to break people, we can't bring wholeness to them. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to what? Yeah, what do we like to jump to? We like to jump to the next verse. Women? Women what? Do you understand that in the Greek there is no verb in that next verse? Paul actually does not say women submit to your husband. Because in verse 21 he borrows it. And so he says, women, as we are all submitting to one another, would you also submit to your husband? It's not a special requirement of wives. It's an expectation of every single believer. By the way, if there's a if there's a frustration in pastoral ministry and counseling, it's the husband and wife that come in and he goes, "She will not submit to me." Men, I have continuously offered the same biblical counsel. Read the next few verses. And when you live as Christ, then you can come talk to me about her submitting to you. And until that moment in time when you are willing to lay down every component of your life. Jesus didn't just lay down a part of his life. He laid down his entire life. So husbands, when you are willing to lay down your attitudes, your egos, your selfishness, when you're allowed, when you're willing to allow all of that to be sacrificed, then you can go, hey, hon, will you submit to me? Church, we have a responsibility in bringing about the wholeness through the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit. But it's going to be really hard to allow Holy Spirit to bring wholeness if we keep taking the vessel and cracking it. By the way, that takes us back to chapter 4 of grieving Holy Spirit. And, And by the way, I believe everything that I've just said and talked about with this relationship between husband and wives and, and women and men allows for a plethora of understanding what women in ministry means. It, it allows for a broad, again, we, that's another dialogue. We're not, we're just talking about in relating to each other. It's starting in the marital relationship. Completely full, completely whole. The third thing that we need to understand is that Paul's talking about completely communal. Completely communal. The word that's there is plural. Paul is talking to the church. And yes, we are individuals of the church, 
but he's talking to the church at large. And so when he says this, he's not saying that it should be measured by one's private morality or spiritual experience, rather in accordance to how we conduct our lives among other people. Being filled with Holy Spirit is not about my own personal experience and encounter. Being filled with Holy Spirit is about how we treat each other in the body. That's the point of measurement. It's not, oh, I spend 15 hours a day on my knees praying to God. Praise God. Try for 16. That's just my lack of, you know, contentment. What we should actually do is go, man, are we spirit-filled? Stop looking in the mirror and start looking at the body. It's not so much as Terry's spirit-filled. I'm a part of the body. Yes, you know, it's not like you can do one or the other. It's kind of a both and, right? But we focus so much on the individual effort. Is OCC filled with Holy Spirit? Are our relationships demonstrated by fullness of Holy Spirit? Cultures of this world have directed us to examine ourselves rather than our community. Paul indicates the church should be full of Holy Spirit and restored. It's a plural command, second. It's a passive command. This is very interesting. It's a passive command. We can't fill ourselves with Holy Spirit. That's what that means. It's a passive command. We can, we can disrobe. We can look in the closet. We can clothe ourselves with Christ's righteousness and holiness. We cannot fill ourselves with Holy Spirit. We can grieve Holy Spirit, or we can choose to stop grieving Holy Spirit. But it actually is Holy Spirit who has to fill us. What we have to do is relinquish control of our personal throne and kingdom. We have to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, start getting rid of ping pong balls. Start sealing up the cracks. Start fixing the broken pieces. But you have to do it, God. Restoration and filling up are the work of God. Again, we play a part that we keep grabbing old clothes. We keep grabbing onto them. Man, that just makes God's work that much harder. <laughs> it's a plural command, it's a passive command, and it is a present tense command. Brothers and sisters, this is a continuous activity. It's not a one and done. It is continuous. Paul writes it, writes it in such a capacity that what he's really saying is continue being filled with Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean one day I can sit there and I can get on my knees and I can go, God, I need filled with you. I need made whole with you. I want to be part of this community. We want to do this. And then for the next six days, get up and go, okay, I'm taken care of. It's not Catholic confessional. He says it is a present tense command every day, every hour. Every minute, I have to be asking God to work in me. It indicates that we can choose to refuse 
or choose to engage in the process of being filled with Holy Spirit. While it happens to us, we can affect whether it does or doesn't happen. We can seek and embrace and engage Holy Spirit's filling, or we can shut it down and further grieve Holy Spirit's filling. We do participate in opening and closing off the opportunity to be filled. How do I need to become more acquainted with being filled with Holy Spirit? Look, one of the things I love about the Alliance, and I believe OCC has been reflective of the historic Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and that is we come from a variety of backgrounds. Some of you are Lutheran, some of you are Pentecostal, some of you are Baptist, some of you are, very few of us are Alliance through and through, some of you are, you know, all sorts of different things. So, so what have I latched onto? And, and I'm not saying walk out of here going, oh, so I've got to buy into Terry's theological premise. No. Continue to study it yourself. But I am saying that every single one of us, because we are human and because we have filters that we process things through, we all can become better acquainted to being filled with Holy Spirit, apart from what we're used to. How do I need to become more acquainted with being filled with Holy Spirit? Finally, the evidence of fullness. The evidence of fullness, again, we can go back to chapter 4 where we had started and we can talk about, well, the evidence of being full is that I speak the truth with my neighbor. I have righteous anger. I labor not in vain, but I labor so that I can give it. I speak in accordance to the timing and the purpose and the heart. I try not to grieve Holy Spirit. I'm disrobing all the old self, the bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. I am being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave me. And that's to everybody and anybody, even the most difficult person. Even if that most difficult person for you is your spouse or your child. But Paul in chapter 5 gives us even more description on this. Because what takes place in 19, 20, and 21 are all tied and connected to verse 18 and be filled with the Spirit. And here's what he says the evidence of being filled is. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Wouldn't that just be radically weird? For us to start walking around and singing to each other the words of God. We'll do that a little bit later. But, I mean, people would start, you, you walk up to somebody in, the, in the, the, I don't know, one of the aisles, the cake aisle at Barney's. And you walk up to somebody that you know and you just start singing. Oh, I really wanted to sing that song, but I won't. <laughs> you just start singing, I, I, I don't know what... It, what Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Holy, holy is He. I mean, we just start allowing that to come out of us in our interactions with one another. How crazy would that be? All creatures of our God and King. Right? What would it look like if that was the voice that became out of us? 
And he goes on, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. How many times do I run across brothers and sisters? I can't sing. That's great. Paul says, do it in your heart. I, I, I can I can sit there, you know, and I can be singing those same songs internally from my heart. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Right? I can sing them from... From inside, they don't have to be verbalized. Although Paul says to one another, they should be verbalized. And then he goes on, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, here's here's the capstone. You want to know if you're full of Holy Spirit? You don't have a problem submitting to one another. You want to know if you're full of Holy Spirit? Look at the relationships around you and how you interact in them. If you approach if you approach the relationship, hey Jim, I'm pastor, you're parishioner. That is not full of Holy Spirit relational context. Hey Jim, I'm Terry. I have issues. So do you? Which put which which puts us on even playing field, level playing field. Too many people know too many of my issues. That's what I'm worried about. Submitting to one another out of reverence. By the way, he goes on, he talks about wives and husbands, children, parents, bondservants, masters, all this kind of stuff. But really, verse 21 takes us right back to chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that is submitting to one another. It cycles back. So, quick soapbox discussion or addresses. If I, if I address you, please listen, tuck your toes. The rest of you can sleep for 30 seconds. To my Pentecostal, strongly charismatic brothers and sisters, we need to become more cautious of seeking the evidence of Holy Spirit through evidentiary manifestations and become more intentional upon our life, exemplifying our stated beliefs. Stop putting the work and presence of Holy Spirit in a box predetermined through your filter. We don't always know what God is doing in the heart, and evidence is greater in a long-term faithful life transformation than in a momentary manifestation. My Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters, Stop looking for the speaking in tongues, the prophetic word, the everything else, and start looking at submitting to one another. To my Reformed or ultra-conservative brothers and sisters, 
we need to stop treating Holy Spirit like an element of our conscience and begin begging for the presence, restoration, and complete fullness of Holy Spirit to manifest in our life. However, He chooses to manifest, not how we choose Him to manifest. Stop denying the work, power, and manifestation of Holy Spirit in this life beyond intellectualism and so-called truth. My Reformed, ultra-conservative brothers and sisters, grab onto the fullness of Holy Spirit and stop using excuses. My brothers and sisters, somewhere in the middle, sitting on the fence, if you would, who acknowledge the reality of Holy Spirit but find anxiety in how Holy Spirit might choose to work. Which perhaps that anxiety then leads to an apathetic approach to Holy Spirit. Begin inviting, sitting with anticipation of Holy Spirit to work in and through. It may be obvious, or might be more subtle, but look for the work of Holy Spirit in my own life and those around me. Don't sit anxious about God working in our life. Tell me what in Scripture you're actually comfortable with. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that freaks me out. But me being freaked out doesn't give me a right to go, well, I don't know about Holy Spirit. Instead, every morning, wake up with a posture of going, God, I'm, I'm a little anxious about what you might do today. But I want to see Holy Spirit at work in me and through me and around me. That might turn into an opportunity for evangelism. That might turn into an opportunity of you speaking in tongues. I don't know. I'll be honest, it still freaks me out. It freaks me out because my intellectualism says I can't explain it. But those of us who are middle of the rotors begin the process of just going, God, show me today. Show me today who you are. Where does my filter of Holy Spirit evidence need to be corrected? Maybe I come from the Pentecostal, charismatic side of things, and I'm looking like, ooh, I'm in my Bible study, and I start praying in tongues. So, so I'm that Holy Spirit. Or I was at church, and a prophetic word broke out, so Holy Spirit showed up. Well, guess what? Holy Spirit's here. Holy Spirit's working. And it might not be in those obvious manifestations. My Reformed, ultra-conservative friends, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did everything that he did. The Holy Spirit didn't just give him intellectual insight. The Holy Spirit didn't just give him truth to speak. The Holy Spirit empowered him to do everything that he did, including die on the cross. 
get intellectualism out of our backside and start grasping hold of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 14 says, The Spirit will come to teach you all things and what? And what? And remind you of all the things that I've said. This is Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things and two separate things. We get stuck in the, well, it's just whatever's in the Bible. That's all Holy Spirit's going to speak. No, Jesus himself said, Holy Spirit will teach you everything. Which means we root it, we found it, we stay stuck in Scripture by all means. But we also listen to Holy Spirit's direction. If it counters this, we throw it out. And those in the middle, we need to stop being apathetic. Either get on board with Holy Spirit or get rid of Holy Spirit. That's your deal between you and God. But we can't remain apathetic to Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, this this doesn't have to be like this highly prophetic word. Well, wait, now I've made the Pentecostals and Charismatics all happy. This world is not getting any better. Life is becoming more difficult. If we don't learn dependence on the Holy Spirit now, we will neglect him later. And then you want to talk about blasphemy of Holy Spirit? That's another conversation for another day. Taylor, can you help me out? Chris, can you help me out? Not here, you might need a couple more. I don't know. Round four, prayer cards. I invite you to get up, find somebody. Look, you don't have to be a great, powerful, experienced, professional intercessor to simply pray this over somebody. So what I invite us to do this morning is to stand. Maybe even pause and ask God, who do you want me to pray with right now? And pray this over each other. Jot their name down so you can be praying it throughout the week. I remind you again, this is not something I just made up. This is scripture. This is not like, oh, well, this is Terry's prayer. No, this is scripture. We're praying scripture. We're singing scripture over one another. So let's stand. stand. I do have more. Here I was trying to be cheap. Look around. Invite Holy Spirit. Where where do you want me to go right now? Who am I supposed to pray over right now? Who am I supposed to pray with right now? Go ahead. Move. Move around. Here, wait. Sayla, if I, if I show this like this, can you get the camera like super close on it? And they can... I don't know. Can I do it like... Or if I do it like... Does that work? No? It's too far? Okay. 